the other coach was shouting at you half an hour. You were there freezing on the, on the chalk ball, and now this old man just whispered to you something on your ear, and you did it. What did he tell you? And you know what what was? This is the freestyle way. It's the first time we've ever spoken in English, and it's the first time uh, I have uh, done a double podcast. I'm doing it in Spanish and English because we thought this would be um, the best way of making the most impact with our conversation. But uh, with that being said, Victor Cano, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to great to have you. And you know what I realized as we started speaking English that I started to adopt a Spanish accent in my English speaking. <laughs> okay. So I, I will be mimicking you. And for those listening, if I sound funny, it's because I, I just uh, can't help myself uh, but to uh, mimic the person that is in front of me. Uh, Victor, I've idolized you as a, as a kid. Um, your gymnastics has always been inspiring. And now to be able to talk to you and to call you a friend is is amazing. So, yeah, really, thank you for being here and, and thank you for sharing with me. Okay, I can I can say the, the same. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, we we met when we were young and we were gymnasts, but it was like just crossing our lives like that. But when, when we, we got to know each other was when we were grown-ups and... At that moment, I was idolizing you for the for the job you did, bringing the gymnastics out of the world of gymnastics and and making making the most of it. Wow! So yeah, it's a pleasure also for me. Wow! Well, we we get to be fans of each other, and that's yeah. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, Victor, the first podcast we did, we did in Spanish, and it already has a title. This was last week. We recorded this. And it's the life and evolution of an Olympic gymnast. So I thought what we could do in today's episode, rather than trying to uh, replicate what we already recorded, was to use that title to dive in and have a little bit of a framework and then uh, allow for whatever it is that is alive in us to to come out as, as we go. So with that being said, uh, Tell me about how you got into gymnastics and why you stuck with it for so long. Um, so right from the beginning, I like it. So I tried different sports when I was, I started with 11, which is kind of a late time to start gymnastics for some people. And before I tried swimming, I tried soccer. We're from Spain. You always try soccer. And I did judo. So I, I try a bunch of different sports, but none of them were like, I'm going to do this forever. And then it came this movie, Breakdance, uh, Electric Boogaloo. I don't know if that's the name in here, but it was, uh, that was the 80s. And the breakdance was like mm, a new thing. And especially for us, and we were like, wow, look what these people are doing. I want to do this. So I was doing handstands and stuff um, in the, at the school, just in the recess by myself. And at some point, the coach of the school coach told me, hey, what are you doing here? You're doing handstands and stuff. Yeah, I want to do this, breakdance, blah, blah. And then he introduced me. There's a thing called gymnastics, artistic gymnastics, and it's actually doing this all the time. And I was like, wow. So he 
introduced me on the sport. It was new for me and also for my family. And yeah, I started training. My mom had no idea what I was doing. So literally the first competition after one and a half year when she got there was like, ah, is this what you are doing? And she was so scared the first time he saw me on the parallel bars doing a handstand and he couldn't, he couldn't watch. Mm. Then she got used to, and well, yeah, I started with 11 and I love it from, from the first day because it was challenging and different, you know, in gymnastics, there are six different events. Every day was different. And there's a strong bond between the gymnasts, especially when you're little, because you're all scared and, and that makes you closer to the other ones. And yeah, I was, I was, I fall, I fall in love, like from the first sight, you know, and then it was like, okay, now we're training three hours every day, three times a week. And I was like, okay, good for me. And then I was picked for the federation and it's like, you want to train every day, but six hours and I was like, okay, the more, the better. And then little by little, I was, I was in and in. And at some point I was with 13 and I was in a special program and I was training like eight hours every day, nonstop. But honestly, to me it was like playing in this moment. So it was like the more, the better. Mm. And yeah, I was a gymnast all of a sudden. Yeah. All of a sudden you were a gymnast. You know, as you were speaking, I, I just had a memory where when I first started doing gymnastics, I started doing gymnastics in a after-school program, and this was just a gym that had mats uh, that were, it wasn't even a floor. It was just like mats that you would sit on. And I remember the first thing that impacted me was, one, they would place you on the mat according to how good you were. So if you were the best gymnast in the room, you would be on mat number one. If you're mm -hmm. the 50th, uh, worse, you would be all, all the way in the back. And the second thing that impressed me was that uh, when we were warming up, uh, when we got to the flexibility part, the stretching part, that they would push you to the point of experiencing pain. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. They're they're trying to split me open, basically. <laughs> did, did you have any of those memories or any uh, impactful uh, moments like that when you first started doing gymnastics? Was there anything that impressed upon you strongly? Um, yes, sure. Um, so this first contact with me was in a little club and they were not, um, it was a club for boys and girls and they were not trying to do competition, it was just like recreational. So nothing really impacted me, but the fact that I love it. But then when I moved to this program of the Federation, we were competing, there were a lot of rules uh, that were not rules, were things that people just do, you know, people, they just did it every day. It was like, okay, you have to do this. One of the, one of them was this lineup we do at the beginning of every training, morning and evening, every day, um, you're just there talking to your friends and at some point you hear the claps of the of the coach and the first thing you do is to line up like kind of or on an army way and so everybody can see each other look at the faces the coach tell you what's what's gonna happen and and if you have something to say that's your moment if there's any problem that's your one minute to talk and and then everything starts you know and that was impressive because if you if you were late on that lineup, you couldn't train. 
And for me, with 12 years, uh, being driven by my mother, not I was not the one on, on the, we were always kind of late. And I was like feeling this anxious for one minute, like we can we can be late. One, one minute can make the whole difference. One minute and, and I'm out of the training for three hours, you know? That was new for me, that kind of discipline. And yeah, that impressed me. And the other thing that I, I remember with with a good memory, and I try to I try to tell my kids, is that usually in Spain when you when you got into a gymnastics um, hall and everybody's training, no matter if you are five years or you are twenty, you gotta go to all the coaches, even if they are not your coaches, and say hi and introduce you, and say, hey, I'm here. You know, maybe you're six years old. I'm here. I'm gonna be here the whole training, and I want you to say hi to you. You know. It was a nice thing. Yeah, that's powerful. Actually, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually write about this in my book, how when I started coaching, the first thing I, I did was I put them in formation. You know, everybody stood tall, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder, um, <clears throat> because that's how I had been trained. I had been trained to open and close in in line. And uh, uh, now that you say it, it's, it's a very big part of the uh, culture for developing high-level performance, especially in gymnastics. And I wonder where that comes from. But uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, uh, I'm curious if it's something that has to do with a military background or something maybe even in the ancient Greek uh, uh, culture that uh, is coming up there. Do you know? Well, it may be because gymnastics, it's a, it's a military sport. So for many years, everything was just for military and then they try to compete between between them and then that you can you can track the pommel horse it's a horse with a with a saddle and and the bar was the just the pull-up bar and now they're doing crazy stuff but everything comes to to the army and well I like it now I'm trying I'm I'm working with the with another kind of of uh, sport like artistic swimming and we do training of gymnastics and I try to, I, I line up with them. Like you were saying, shoulder to shoulder, they, they try, they tend to, to round the, the line, you know, to wrap. And it's like, no, no, go, go there and do a, a straight line. I know it, it's kind of weird, but you know, we want to see each other in the same situation. At some point, this line was kind of stressful because the order or where you place yourself in this line, sometimes shuffle. I remember a few years where there were like a rank in the on the on the wall, and you will line up the more on your right if you were higher on the rank. Um, other years was just by height, but by the end it happened the more organic one who was. Uh, the older people, the people that were from longer period of time in, in that gym were more on the right and the newest that they, they were putting themselves on the left you know exactly yeah yeah we we had we had the same thing it's so interesting how as soon as you walk into a gymnastics facility especially if it's a competitive one you're going to know where you stand immediately not only through your skill but you're also going to know just by where you're standing yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah uh, how good or bad you actually are <laughs> that's incredible uh, Victor, tell me when you started training now, um, doing two a days or, or training eight hours a day, 
How are you coupling that with school? Well, uh, for me, personally, was kind of uh, not a problem until I got to college. I mean, middle school and high school was was good. Our When we were in elementary school, we had a deal with the school so we can train morning and evenings and we will skip the first three hours in the morning. So we will got in the school around 11 and we skip the first three hours and then we we were catching up on weekends and and with special um, tutors and but that, that was not a, a big deal then when we moved to high school that was a little bit more challenging but we were lucky because we were doing everything in a high performance centers where we we could sleep eat and study there and everything was was fast and the coaches um they had access to the to the teachers so they were working together and that was easy the problem started in college um, because in Spain there's no instructor so we'll allow you to go to college and and do sports they are two different worlds you at some point you have to choose if you want to study or you want to do sports I choose to try both of them uh, the first year I try engineering um, and gymnastics which didn't work because it was too demanding. I was trying to do two things that they need eight hours a day and, and there are no so many hours in the day. And then I switched to physical education. And again, I was kind of, I was able to do a kind of a deal with the teachers and, and yes, yeah, so I did it. But um, honestly, the most of the, of the, the majority of the of the people of the team they they couldn't study just let's say out of eight people just three we did our our degrees that's a thing that i think it could be better it has to be fixed at some point in spain uh-huh. yeah here you have uh here in the united states you have collegiate uh sports and and the programs basically are designed around being able to go to school in fact if you're if you're not doing well in school you a lot of athletes can't participate in in the sport, but uh, at the same time, they also cap the number of hours that collegiate athletes uh, can practice. And I don't know if this is still true or if it's for all sports, but I believe it's around twenty hours a week. Anything over twenty hours is uh, it's kind of under the table. It's in the dark. I know, I know, I know. And many sports they have different rules for. Um let's say the Olympic Games and the NCAA. So yeah, they want to make sure that they are doing sports for the college, not for national teams, you know, mm-hmm. national team. It's kind here. The national team don't have the privilege in the U.S. that that it has in Spain. Here it's much better to choose college sport. Everything is, is the structure. It's, it's pushing you in that direction. Yeah. yeah, and and do you know if here in the United States, uh, if you go uh, to the Olympics, if you can go back and do collegiate afterwards, or yeah. once you've done the Olympics, you can't go back? No, no, it, it you can go back, and actually it helps you. I mean, your your scholarship can, it, it increases if you have a, a good result on the Olympic Games, and you can take two gap years. So, yeah, that's what, some of the girls in the in the artistic swimming national team that I'm working with 
now and, and they this are is doing the usa so. national in team. the usa national team they we have a couple of them they're in Stanford and a couple of them in ohio and they're gonna finish their ncaa competition period in may they're gonna join the national team they're gonna take one gap year this year so they can do the qualification and eventually the olympic games and they can they're gonna go back mm. yeah interesting yeah. Okay, so, but yeah, back to you. When did you know that gymnastics was for you and that you wanted to take gymnastics all the way, meaning make it to the Olympics? Um, I think it happens during the Seoul 88 Olympic Games. I was 10 and I was looking at the competition and I was, I was watching... I was watching all the all the sports, but at some point, gymnastics was there, and the, the um, United um, the Soviet Union they were super over the rest of the people. There was um, Bilosertsev, this gymnast, and they were they were throwing ten points exercise here and there, and they looked so over the top, and they looked so graceful and so perfect that I was like wow I want to do this I want to dress like they dress I want to have this face and I want to be there doing this and winning medals and in those days in the 88 it was hard at least in Spain to find a, a tape or a video so that was my only chance I saw gymnastics there and they were like okay I want to I want to watch more where they were like, there's no more to watch now for I don't know for years then I was I was looking some uh, maybe motion pictures like and I found this American Anthem picture. American Anthem, yeah, it's, American it's a Anthem. classic movie. Yeah, that I love it and I was like, wow, and I, st I stuck. I was like, I watched it like 10 times in a row, like, wow, that's the Incredible. best. Incredible, with Mitch yeah. Gaylord, Mitch with Gaylord. Mitch Gaylord, yeah, it, it's, it's a very cool story and yeah, I was, first was, watching the super pros and, and the movies and then then I I mean I picture myself like I'm gonna do this I mean I have no doubt so when I st I started in this recreation um club I remember that I fit my I did my first competition I did I don't know if I did good or bad but I finished like 20 something and I didn't care really then on the second one I finished fifth and was like wow what happened here? You know, something happened. I was 23rd, I went 5th. And not, then on the third one, I won, I wanted to be in the podium. And I finished third. And yeah, I finished this season, this one season, like like going better and better and better. And and then it was like, wow, this, this, this is what I, I want to do. This is what I want to do forever. Because it was, I don't know why it was easy. I tried swimming first and I was not very good. I was very, very short. I still very short and swimming was not my thing. Then I tried basketball and I did good, but I mean, the guys were much bigger than I was. And in gymnastics, everyone was short, like, like I was. So I was like, wow, that's my thing, you know? And yeah, everything, everything was kind of, I don't know. Everything was pushing me there, like in a very easy way. Even uh -huh. if the sport is not popular in Spain, even there, there's not much future on being a gymnast. It's much, much smarter to be soccer player or tennis player. But yeah, 
was like a gymnastics is like a romantic thing you know you do it because you you like it not for any other purpose i think oh, right it's not like you're going to um uh yeah come out a millionaire no <laughs> out, of, <laughs> out, of, out of out of gymnastics victories uh, no, but I you, don't you, think so. you can make a living through gymnastics but it requires uh a whole set of uh very unique things to happen in a very unique uh, person uh, to yeah to convert that but anyways when when you uh, started uh, getting closer to that moment of qualifying for the Olympics this is something I asked you in the previous podcast but was that was that life-changing for you and if so in what way was it life-changing well um I don't I don't recall it like a life changing the qualification because I don't know maybe I was naive but I thought there was like like one thing is gonna just fall fall in place like one after another you know so I started as I was telling you the in little regional competitions and I didn't finish because on the last question but when I finished this year with the recreation I I my coach asked me what what do you want to do in gymnastics and I was 11 and I told him, I want to be world champion. And I remember the face of, of the coach looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, I want to be world champion. I want to go to competition. I want to, I want to beat them all, you know? And then he told me, okay, we have a problem here because this is not your place. And I was, I cried and blah, blah, blah. And then I move on, you know, but I was very clear and, and, and in my objective, I, oh, I want to do this. So then I went to Spanish national championships. I finished from the, I don't know, first, second, it's okay. But everything happens like very, then then I was competing in the European championship. Then I was competing on the world championships. And to me, the Olympic game was something that was just there. You know, I was never thinking of not making it to the Olympic game. So when we qualify in the 99, uh, 1999 Tianjin World Championships. Um, it is true that we had a great team. Um, Jesus Carballo was world champion already. Gervasio de Fer was, he finished second. So we were, we were not all of us, but all, the six, the six um, gymnasts that, that make, we make the team, we were all fighting for our finals and we were all very clear that we're gonna go to the we're going to the olympic games you know so it was like something it has it has to happen so yeah and that was not life-changing to me it was more life-changing when i competed in the olympic games and i didn't make the final mm -hmm. that was like life-changing but yeah. for the first time it was like hey no bro you're not gonna make it it's not this is not that easy you know it was like what that was the shock yeah yeah, so it wasn't qualifying for the Olympics that changed your life. It was getting to the Olympics and not getting the result that you were expected or expecting to to get. And then when you when you came back, um, was it just straight back to training, go to the next Olympics and start the process over again? Or um, was there a new mindset and way of looking at things in competition that you you started to integrate? That's a good question because if I was not happy with the result on the on 2000 uh, Sydney Olympic Games, I should change something and and to try to make it better. But I didn't. 
I just came back and was like, okay, we have four more years to do this better um, and I want to start now. So I didn't take any break and I started like, let's say we came back one Monday. I started training on, on Friday. So I took like four days. I went straight to, to Madrid, to the high performance center. There was, I was training like alone. I remember with just me and my coach, like, okay, I was thinking everybody's stopping. I'm not going to stop. Then that's going to give me an, 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 um, advantage, but it wasn't the case. Now I can see that it's better to stop and, and be reflexive and, and think what I did wrong, what I can do better. But honestly, I didn't, I didn't did it. I just kept, keep on training, practicing more and more and more. I thought that I was young because I was 22 on the first Olympic games. And I thought, okay, in 26, I'm going to be better. Um, just, I'm just going to keep it up and that's it. So I didn't change much. Um, my biggest mindset change came, came on 2004, right on the year of, of the Olympic games when I changed my, my routine on Palo Horse and I felt like, okay, now I can, now I'm ready. Now, I, now I'm going to win everyone, you know? And then I went to my first World Cup and, and I did my first gold medal and for the first time I beat everyone and, and that was like, okay, now I, I, I can do it, you know? Mm. And, and when this is something that we, we also discussed in, in the previous podcast, which was, uh, you, you wanted to know how to win and, uh, Jesus Carvalho at the time told you that in order to win, you just have to win once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the secret. Um, and. And you, for example, you won this, this event, uh, in this competition after that, uh, was that true that winning once allowed you to win more or, uh, was it different than you thought? No, it was true. When he first gave me this, this advice, I thought like, well, this is silly. What are you talking about? I know that, that you have to start doing one, but no, there's a truth in it. Because it's, it's the thing that you have to, you have to first, you have to picture yourself winning and you have to believe that you can do it and you have to not be afraid of winning, you know? Um, I remember my coach telling me sometimes, I think you're afraid of winning. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm afraid of losing. And he told me, no, no, you're afraid of winning. And you're doing, you're doing like a um, sabotage to you so you cannot win because you don't, you don't think you deserve it, you know? And now I can see there's some, there are some true in this world, you know, you, you, you can be scared of doing, of doing it good. You know, you gotta be brave to beat them all. And yeah, after I did it for the first time, after Jesus Carvalho, who was a world champion twice in this moment, he told me this, he gave me this advice. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it now. So I went, I did it and it was so easy. All of a sudden, it was easy. So the the thing I was pursuing for seven years to go in competition and do my best and 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 have the highest score, and no matter what, winning the competition was easy. It happened like nothing. I was like, "Wow, I'm doing it!" And I did it two times. I I qualified in the first place and and I took the gold medal. Then when I compete on the next World Cup in Paris, 
which is a big competition, Paris-Bercy. And I did compete like three times before. I never did the final. I was there like, there's no way that I'm not doing the final and I'm going to go for medals. And I finished second. So it happened again. Okay, I didn't win, but I was there. And then I think... I think I was on all the finals after this code boost. It's not just me that I thought, okay, I deserve it. It's also the judges and all the all the gymnastics community and, and the audience and you know, and and once you win one, you kind of you walk different. You're not scared of, of doing the warm-up with, with the guys who are fighting for medals and, and you feel that you that you belong there, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. You you told me before that uh, there was a time where you would even talk to the judges to let them know what you were going to do. So they, they actually saw and they didn't miss uh, anything. Uh, is, is that legal? <laughs> Are you allowed well, to do that? Um, yeah, that's legal, I guess. <laughs> no, that's legal. And I did that on 2004 when I was 20-something, but before, I, I I wouldn't even talk to the judges. To me, the judges were the enemy, you know? To me, the, the good guys were the gymnasts and the and the coaches, and the bad guys of the competition were the judges that were taking you out your 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 job, giving you mm-hmm. tens of, of penalties and taking out your points. But, yeah, I was, I was more mature, and I was thinking, hey, those guys, the judges, they are the one giving the medals. <laughs> they are the ones telling, and you gotta like them. You cannot hate them because if you hate them, they hate you. You know. Usually, when you hate someone, this someone hates you too. You know. It's, it's like a mutual feeling. It's very weird that you don't like someone and this someone likes you. It's you know, people feel things. So it's like I was like, okay, I gotta be friend of those of those. Dudes, you know, they are there. They're there. They're the same people. Every competition, we know each other for years now. Some of them, they were all gymnasts. So I was making some good relations, saying hi to everyone, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm going to have my start value right because it's it's a thing. And you can talk to them during the warm up and during the previous day. They are there, they're watching. They're watching and they are making their own uh, rankings before the competition. And since you're not allowed to talk to them in the competition, you cannot finish on the competition and ask them, why you did that or, or, or the other? I was doing this the day before, beforehand, you know? I was like, um, yeah, asking them, what do you think of my exercise? Do you like it? Do you think it's, this is 10 points? That but was uh, nothing. I was not telling them I want to win. Give me the more points. I was just asking, you know, and I had a couple of friends, one from Finland and, and another one from Hungary. And I will, I will bring them a bottle of wine. I know they, they love the wine the day nice. before, like a little present. And yeah, they were they were nice to me, and I was nice to them. You know, I I can tell here that I I've seen giving like like um, TVs and 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 big uh, presents from the let's say the wow. Chinese uh, delegation to many judges. So this is a thing that that happened, and I think this is not legal. But 
with these people that I have a good relationship, I I I I knew them. They were in my house in my house sometimes when we do, we do camps together. I I was just trying to to be nice and have good relationship, good international relationships. You know, because you cannot win if you are against everybody. You need mm-hmm. a little net of support of yourself. Yeah, you know, this is so interesting that you're bringing this up, and we didn't talk about this in the Spanish version of the podcast, but this is also, it's not just personal uh, relationships that you're building and professional relationships, but it's what we would call these days personal branding. You are really developing um, a presence within the gymnastics community that uh, stood for something and that had something that was unique to your style that had to be impressed upon in the community beyond just the moment of competition. Meaning, for example, if you uh, go to a competition and you have your uh, practice day, so the day before podium training, whatever you want to call it, uh, people are watching then. Like people are noticing you. And then you have your competition and then you go through the finals and, and hopefully you end up on the podium. But uh, the competition is not only the competition day, it's, it's everything that, that uh, entails being there and being present and doing gymnastics. In addition to that, there is the uh, relationships that you're building with all the gymnasts outside of the competition, with all the judges outside of the competition, with all the organizers outside of the competition. And uh, in, in the year 2000, there was no social media, but now there's social media. And people are are presenting their gymnastics on a daily basis. They are propagating uh, how they do gymnastics constantly, thus influencing the judges, the organizers, uh, other teams, sponsors, and and the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, in many ways, my sense is that you are doing personal branding. Uh, then, do do you agree with that, or, or yeah, yeah. what do you think? It makes a lot of sense now that you're you're bringing it up in that way. But yeah, it was was just um saying hey i am here and 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 i want you to know me you know because in in the year 2000 not many people knew me and in the year 2004 a lot of people knew me because when you're a junior you're kind of out of the radar but when you're a senior and you're there in the many world championships everyone can see you and i remember the first day the first day i i won this this um, World Cup, many people, coaches from other countries and, and judges, they told me, I'm happy for you because for the first time you won. Because all, all they all knew my story and we, we all know each other's stories. You know, we are, it's a very little community and we, we compete in the World Championships. They last like 11 days and we spend a lot of, of time together. I was one uh, watching all the trainings. I did my training three hours and then I stayed there on the on the gym like, I don't know, like until the last gymnast um, left because I, I wanted to learn. And, and as you were saying, everything that happens counts. Everything that happens during competition goes for the, goes for the competition. I mean, if you cross... Um, in the hotel with another contender for the Bumble Horse final and you stare at, at, at his eyes and he stares at you, that counts. Everything counts. And if you meet a judge or, or the head of, of the judges 
from Pommel Horse and you, I don't know, you cross with him and you don't say, hey, how are you? This is Victor. I'm happy to see you. And you just turn your head. That counts. And uh-huh. I, I think every little thing counts. And I was very aware of, of doing, yeah, of doing all my job, not just from the competition, but in every second I was, I was in the world championships or, or Olympic games. Yeah. Yeah. You really lived, uh, gymnastics and, and this is what I've been thinking about a little bit over the last uh, week since we last spoke which is this idea of the difference between being in development and competing. What's the difference between practice and training and competing? What's the difference in mindset? And what's the difference in the way that you approach it? Uh, can you talk about that? Do you have any insight on how you approached it uh, growing up as a gymnast? Yeah, I do. Because it took me years to learn how to compete. It took me years to have a system that works for me. It took me, it took me a lot of competitions. I, I mean, my first European Championships, I, uh, I fell everywhere. And then on, on my second, I did better. The third and the first Olympic get in the first World Championships, I did bad. And at some point, it was like, okay, in the I don't, I cannot do bad on my first Olympic games because you have like two chances in your life or three. So you gotta, you better figure it out before. And to me, competition was another world, um, but not, not for everyone. I mean, Alexei Nemov, to me, one of the greatest gymnast and, and a good friend of mine. Um, I remember he told me during one, one was the Olympic games before the final, the, the floor final, I was like, how are you? And he told me. I'm okay. For me, this is like a training. My, my trick is that I go there and I, I delayed and I erase everyone. I take out all the, all the, all the people there. And I just look at the floor and I, I transform that floor on my home floor. And then I do my practice as I will, I'm doing every day. That's what he told me. But for me, that was very hard to do because I, I was not focused like closing, I was focused opening. So I couldn't hear everyone on the audience. I couldn't see all the faces. I was like over focused. And at some point I was like, okay, to me, uh, competition is not training, is not practice. So I cannot pretend to do the same. I have to perform the same, but my brain cannot be the same setup. So what I tried to do was uh, emptying my mind as much as I could. I, I, I didn't have the, the tools. Now I know meditation and breathing exercise that could ease my, my flow of thinking. But on those days, um, I didn't, but I had a very good, um, sports psychologist and he teach me like, like, okay, if, if your brain is going to be filled out with stuff choose this stuff. Okay. So be ready. And, and let's say on pommel horse, the exercise lasts like 30 seconds. And I knew that I will, the first five seconds, I would just have in my head one, one sentence that was like, okay, keep your legs together and grab both with both arms, the handle. So, and then after that, boom, another thing came, came was like, okay, now open your legs as much as possible. Blah, blah. So I was, I was choosing what to think. And at some point it worked. 
But just for wrapping this up, my coach, Lev Goliandrin, the, the, was a Belarusian and was the man who teach me the, the more important lessons here. He always said, um, competition is another animal and we cannot practice this other animal bad in competition. We can do whatever you want here. We can do mock, t mock meets. We can do practices with judges. We can do anything. But the day D, at the hour H, when you're going to go out in the world championship, this is another thing. And you got to learn there, not here. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, very interesting. And something that um, has been coming up more and more for me is this idea that uh, the, the best bridge from development or training practice to competition is when you can compete and forget that you are competing. Yeah. Which, like when you're talking about those sentences, like, okay, uh, my first five seconds, I'm just going to uh, focus on getting to the pommel and making sure that both my hands are on the pommel. Two hands on the pommel. Then you're just repeating that sentence. When, when, you, when you anchor yourself in a sentence like that, you are uh, putting focus onto one thing, not not what the audience is saying, not what's coming next, just the one thing that you're currently doing. And when you become process-oriented like that, which is something that you can do in training and practice too, in fact, you have to do it, it allows you to forget that you're competing. And when you forget that you're competing, you're actually doing your best expression or your best gymnastics. Uh, but it's very hard to drown out the the voices, the the noise in in your head. And I'm wondering, did you have any uh, rituals that you did going into competition? Yeah, I did a lot of rituals. I was not the one doing the more, but because gymnastics, it's a, first, it's an individualistic sport. So you are there by yourself and you feel it that you are there by yourself. When you raise your arm and it's like, okay, this is both time. There's no one. It's just you there. And second, it's scary. It's scary during practices because there is a, a inherent risk on everything you're doing. And then you're scared of falling because it's, it takes you like one second to be down and, and, and be out of the competition. And I think all these fears, they, they, they find support on, on little rituals or, you know, um, maniatic, um, behaviors, you know, um, I was like, I, I want to look you know, on the, on the, you have this, there's the competition. Okay. World championships. And there's like one hour of practice. The last 10 minutes is when you are done. And this 10 minutes between when you're done and you're going to be called in are the more scary moment of, of, of the whole thing of this 10 minutes in this 10 minutes in gymnastics, no one speaks to, to anyone. Everyone is doing his own stuff. We're not cheating like, come on, guys, let's go for it. No, no. I was doing my stuff. I wanted to to be sure, to make sure that I have my, my grades on place. And then during the day of, the, uh, during the actual competition, I did like little things like, like I just, my socks were always like, uh, like down and I just put it like all the way up when was the competition was mm. like 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 this i remember this uh, movie of um sylvester 
Um, no, no Silver Stallone. Yeah, Silver Stallone doing um, arm wrestling. Or, yeah, arm wrestling, and he was a truck driver. Blah blah blah. And he said, "I have my my cap here. When I turn my cap back, this is go time. This is competition. So I like a switch on, you know. So I had this little." two little things that I, I do with my socks, like, okay, this is go time. This is, I, I just do this when, when it's competition. But I've seen doing crazy stuff, like closing and opening five times the bags or, or you know, making sure that you, that, that the shoes were line up or, yeah, yeah. Everyone was doing crazy stuff. Gymnastics, it's a, it's a sport for crazy people. And it's not me saying this is, um, my wife and, and partner in life, Andrea Fuentes, uh, she's a, a top athlete. Actually, she's an um, Olympic medalist, but she's, she always says, you got to be a little bit, a little bit crazy to do gymnastics. And, <laughs> and every gymnast I've met, everyone, every each one has a little something in the head, like a little craziness. And yeah, I agree. On, on this. So yeah, and then in competition and the stressful moments is when all this craziness craziness go up. Uh -huh. Yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, I want to fast forward a little bit now to um, Athens and you coming back from Athens and um, having qualified for the finals, but then not not reaching the goal of being on the podium. And then uh, having to go through another four years to try to get to Beijing in 2008. But then uh, right at the cusp of getting there, deciding to quit. Why do you quit and how does it happen? Well, um, you know, after the 2004 Olympic Games, um, something happened that was... was, was um, was a, had a big impact in the gymnastics community is that they changed the whole rule of books. Uh, I mean, they changed everything. They took out the 10 points uh, approach for an open open code where the difficulty was, was unlimited, so you couldn't tr do anything. And I was at, at this moment for a big change like that. I was not old, but I mean... I was facing my third Olympic Games and then this change came and I was not ready. It took me like one year, almost two years to, to understand what they were looking for. I, I still don't understand the code. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yes. And I was a very, I was a very uh, artistic, um, focused gymnast. I was, when I was a gymnast, um, I always tried to, okay, have the 10 point star value, but that was not super hard in those days. You, many gymnasts, they had 10 point star values. And then if they all have 10 point, how you change, how you discriminate, how you, how you rank them. And there, these little things like my toes, like, like being not here, but here, like little detail in this corner, that was the artistic part that could make the difference. Um, after 2004, all this was wiped out and there were no more room for artistic expressions. And yeah, I was not suited for it. And I start, honestly, when I went to the 2005 World Championships, I thought after being, after this successful year in 2004, 
with all the World Cups, medals, and and the final in the Olympic Games, I thought like, okay, now I'm here. Like now I'm I'm not I'm not out of the final by any by any means. But I was I was again nine. And I took it in 2005, I took it like, okay, I have to start all over again from the beginning. Because I was nine in 2000 and 2005, I was again out of the final and and with a new code of points and new faces. I, I for the first time, younger, younger gymnasts, they were in the final. And they're like, wow, these youngs come. I, I don't I don't still get it, the the how how to score higher. And I'm out of the business again. And yeah, that was hard in Melbourne. I remember walking alone in Melbourne, kind of crying, like, don't tell me I have to start again. And then, well, everything has a, has a battery and a, and a life uh, spawn. It's not like it's forever. And I was, remember I started with 12 and I was 20 something. I was like kind of 27, 28, you know, like 16 years in, in, in my top, um, trying to do the best. And at some point I was like, wow, my, my shoulder hurt because I, I, I didn't stop to recover. My feet hurt and I was living in Barcelona because after so many years in Madrid, I was like, I need a change. So I, I bought my own house. I had a cat. I had, a a girlfriend. I have a kind of a, a life in Barcelona and I was. Every time I have to went to Madrid to do a camp was like harder, and I was not one of the top guys, um, even in the national team, Spanish national team. There was Rafa Rafa Martinez who was much better. I I couldn't beat him, and I was like, you know, in these moments I was like, if I cannot do better than I did, I quit. I was very very. Um, results oriented i was not now i will approach different and i i tell my 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 athlete like this is a process you gotta enjoy the process it's not just the the the, the goal it's not just the result do the whole thing but in these days i was not that way you know like like now you can see kelly's later he is a world champion 11 times and he's still competing and he's not winning anymore but he's there but for me, these were like, no, no, no. If if I'm not doing better, if I'm not growing up, I'm quitting here, you know? And yeah, 2008 came, the Olympic Games were very close. We were qualified for them. And in the, that in, in was an European on March. On March, it was the first time I didn't did the team for... I mean, forever was the first team I was not in. I was in the in the audience, and I was like, "Wow, I think this is over." I'm I'm here. They are there competing. This is the Spanish national team. I know I'm not in. So yeah, I think it's time to to quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when when you quit, you it was the the infamous moment infamous moment where you were gonna uh, climb the rope, and you decided, okay. I'm I'm not climbing this rope. I I'm retiring. But that had also been prefaced by uh, being at a big competition and being on the parallel bars on the P bars and about to do your dismount, which was a double pike, and not doing it because you said, you know what? I've hurt my foot doing this. I've been scared of this element before. 
I'm just not going to do it. And just doing uh, a simple uh, layout as your uh, as your dismount, that there was something in your mind that just said, okay, I that edge is not there. I don't have it. And uh, there is a, there's a, a passing of the torch of sorts happening within the national team. So uh, I got to go. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, could you have become a specialist and just done pommel horse for a couple of years more? Or was that not even an option in your mind because you are a pure gymnast who believes in the, the all-around and six-event six approach? Well... I'm gonna add to the to the the moment of my retirement that I had no coach at though in at this moment I was living in Barcelona and my coach was in Madrid so I'm gonna meet him Fernando Siscar I will meet him on the camps like the three months before the Olympic Games or whatever the big competition but during the year I had no coach I had no no one with me. So the day I, I decided not to climb the rope, I was literally by myself in the gym. So I don't know if you, you have ever been by yourself in the gym. It, it, you need a lot of, of, of willing to train, you know? And my battery were, were like going down and down and, and very fast because this is grinding when you train alone, you know? And I think I might have a coach there supporting me and helping me, maybe I would take smarter decisions like you are saying. Just let's just do Palmer Force. And I I many times I I've been thinking many times on this because I still I'm 45. I can still do Palmer Horse. I think with a good um plan, I could still being in the competitions in a high level, just doing pommel horse, training three hours a day, no more, no eight hours again, no breaking your shoulders on the rings, no breaking your ribs on the bar, nothing, just pommel horse. That's it. And I was a master doing pommel horse and I struggled doing other other events. But yes, as you, were, as you were saying, when I started doing gymnastics, doing just one event was not an option. You had to do the six events and even you had to do compulsories and then the the free routine. So to me, the real gymnast was the one doing the six. And that, that was the thing that I, I love the more. I still, when I watch a competition, the competition I like the more is the all around because this is the gymnast. So yeah, it could be an option, but yeah, it's an option afterwards. Um, also, it's very hard to make the team if you just do one event and you're putting the the team on a situation and you're putting the head coach in a situation because you're taking out someone who maybe can do three, four. So you're going to be like world champion if you want just to do one event and go to the competitions. And that was not the case in this moment. Yeah, makes sense. And just for people to understand, when you when when people when you had to do compulsory events, the compulsory routines, you had to do all six events, compulsory routines, which is kind of like a, a basic thing that everybody does for for contrast. And then you had to do your free routines, which was the routine that you made up uh, yourself and that you composed. And and that means that you had to do for six events one routine that twice so 12 routines and then uh that's uh not including the vault which in pre-routine you would do two two different vaults so it was th 13 different routines uh which 
let's say an average uh, routine on uh, has 10 elements, so to speak, that's 130 different elements or moves that you have to be uh, preparing for. It's a lot of volume. It's it's insane. And uh, of course, your batteries <laughs> were, <laughs> were trained. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So when when you retire, I um, uh, I know that you you had a moment where you were struggling and you kind of lost your identity because everything was wrapped around gymnastics and um, but eventually uh, through the breakup uh, with your your girlfriend uh, you you landed in a vipassana retreat in a ten day silent retreat I want to hear what was that like and what was the moment where you realized that uh, your life had now changed forever, but it wasn't over. That was the the same moment that I that I find myself speaking to me in this. Okay, so let's move to this vipassana retreat. Um, I quit. It it's a one year gap between my last practice and the vipassana retreat. One year, twelve months. Uh, those were hard months. Uh, I was like kind of lost. My identity was was lost. My friends, they were not my... Well, I was hanging with different people, trying different stuff. I was not working. I was partying a lot. I was drinking a lot. I was doing... Um, I was. I didn't know... I wasn't doing my life without a plan. I was. There was no purpose. It was just the day by day. And at some point it was like, wow, I'm, I'm getting lost in, and I'm almost 30. And I have two, two university degrees and, and I have to do something. So yeah, in this Vipassana retreat, I think it was like the eighth day or the seventh day. It's a 10 day retreat. I was just walking and you're, you're not, you cannot talk to no one there. So you talk to yourself many times. And, and I remember talking to me like, Hey, Victor, hi, are, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. And this one guy who answered for the first time was not Victor Gymnast, was Victor Little Kid before gymnastics. And they was like, wow, there's some, there's some me without gymnastics. I don't need gymnastics to be myself, you know? I mean, gymnastics wasn't accessory, was like a adjective, was not myself, you know? And in that moment, it was like, oh, I remember this little kid who didn't know about gymnastics or sport or competition or or injuries or money or nothing that was just walking the beach, kicking stones on the, you know, and, and looking for, I remember I was looking for bees to try to touch them without being stung. So, and I was like, oh, I, I know that guy. And that guy was a little kid and, and, I can start all over again. And, and yeah, that gave me like, I remember getting out of there, like without a plan. So I went to the Vipassana and I get, got out 10 days, nothing happened, but I was, I was a different person. And, and the big difference was like, I recovered myself. Like, Hey, there's a Victor Cano. You don't need to be a gymnast forever. And yeah. That was was a big shiny moment of my life. I can I can still remember it. And and uh, when you when you got out of the the retreat, you you started coaching, um, and you you met Andrea, and uh, 
there was a lot of things that happened where you got to experience coaching at a high level, uh, although you said you, you, you got to work with the worst gymnast, but you, you actually got to uh, be a gymnastics coach for the first time, a true gymnastics coach. But uh, things evolved um, maybe a little different and, and, and for the better with, with you and, and Andrea moving to Mallorca and then started doing uh, camps uh, for artistic swimming now. And that being something that that came about without you really planning for it, and then eventually um, that leading you to come to the United States, and you came to the United States uh, originally because uh, Andrea got uh, the opportunity to become the head coach for Team USA uh, for artistic swimming, and I'm I'm curious when when you made that transition into coaching. How much of your gymnastics identity influenced your coaching identity? I think a lot because even if I didn't, I was not one of those, like, I don't want to talk about gymnastics anymore. I'm not a gymnast. I mean, I'm not sore with gymnastics. I still love gymnastics. It's, it's only that I'm not a gymnast anymore. So, and the same, like, um, being a coach, I started being like a gymnastic coach doing this almost the same stuff I saw my coaches doing to me. And then I transitioned to other sports. And in these sports, I found very valuable the the stuff from gymnastics. I mean, when I when I teach the a swimmer or I I I work acrobatics with a skater, I'm not trying to emulate the skater coach. I, I want them to know that I'm a gymnast. And, and I want to give them something that gymnastics has. Because I always thought that gymnastics has something valuable for many sports, soccer or golf or whatever. And I think it's, it, it could be, it will be a mistake if I don't embrace it and I don't present myself like a gymnastic coach that I'm transitioning and giving you what I think it's useful from gymnastics to you. Um, was not a plan to, to, as you were saying, I, I never said, okay, I'm going to be a coach, but not from, for gymnastics it was something that happened, um, over time. I had, a a little group of gymnasts in Mallorca and Andrea start doing, started doing these camps. At some point we both had a pretty, pretty demanding schedule. So competitions on weekends, blah, blah, and, and, and I was like, if I go to all my competitions and you go to all your competitions, we will never meet again. I mean, we, we want to be together. We had little kids. And so I was kind of giving up on my career and, and supporting her path. And that's why I became, that's where I became coach, gymnastic coach for other sports. And I started with artistic swimming and I'm transitioning to any other sport that has an acrobatic component like breakdancing or skateboarding, snowboarding. Well, many sports now they have a, an acrobatic component and I found a great joy on giving them information that can be very obvious for a gymnast, but that can be new and, and very useful for, for other sports. Yeah, you've definitely found a passion for uh, helping people in sports who have an acrobatic component to uh, utilize gymnastics 
to uh, one, get better at what they're already doing and two, access new levels of performance and hopefully three, create something that could potentially be a signature movement, which is very important. In, in gymnastics, for example, uh, you, can, you can include new elements in the, in the code which is something that uh, they owe you. <laughs> they yeah, owe you I an know. element, right? <laughs> you have an element, right? Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, but I think that's what you're also doing in the in the action sports world. And I call it the action sports world because I believe that it's the action sports world that at the moment, uh, without inc- including some more traditional sports like, let's say, figure skating or uh, we could say uh, – uh, diving or uh, artistic uh, swimming, which uh, used to be synchronized swimming. Uh, but action sports seems to be something that you're passionate about. Why Why action sports? Why skating, surfing, breakdancing? What is it well, there? One thing that I like of, I love of those sports is that there's a lot of people that they are practicing them just for the joy of practicing them. You know? So you go to the beach and there's a hundred people today in Malibu surfing they're not competing they are just there because they love it and 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 having the joy of doing sport and and the same there's hundreds of people dancing in the street they don't need nothing just just the music and they go for it or the skate park in gymnastics you don't find this in gymnastics you just do gymnastics you are inside the world there's no outsiders trying to do stuff that's why it's so hard for the audience to catch the the difficulty of the of the sport you know um i met people and and i they came with me to the gym okay i can can i get out on on the ring so yeah i can i can help you up and they thought they were about to do something and they just hang the family like okay and now what what's the move how i do stuff no no that's it nothing happened there's no there's no motor you know you gotta do everything they're like what so people don't understand how difficult it is. And, and let's say motorbikes, everybody, may, a lot of people ride a motorbike and when they see the competition of the best in the world, they know what's going on there, you know? And, and this happened on the action sport. This, there's a lot of people around the, the super pros. And then there are the super pros that they are leading the, the, the goal. And that's one thing that I, I love, but. I think the thing that I like the more is that they have still um, a freedom that we don't have in gymnastics. They can they can do whatever. There's there's no a strict code of points saying you cannot do this. So if you you can do a, a five forty in the skateboarding and you can have your head your hand here and it, it it's okay, or you can have it here or there, and and there's no such a rule that will say no no this is not good and they look for style and they can do tricks all tricks new tricks and everything is much more open not to mention breakdance that they have to improvise even in the competition which to me is, is like awesome i couldn't imagine go to the competition not knowing exactly what to do Remember that in gymnastics, everything is, it's, it's rehearsed. It's a rehearsal. Everything is like, like a, a repetition of what you did yesterday. You're just fighting for doing the same thing. And these sports are much more open. The surfer don't know if the waves are going to be big or small, or they're going to have the round one at 7am, or it's going to happen at 10 because there's wind and 
I love this. And also I love that they are new. I like everything new. And and I think for the IOC that they did a very good job, including all these sports, because people is demanding this. People, I mean, pentathlon, mother pentathlon. I, I like this sport and I have friends of mother pentathlon, but who, who goes now with a horse and, and shooting an arrow and then, then doing... Uh, five yeah. wars. It's like okay, in the in the eighteenth century was good, but now we gotta we gotta move on. So yeah, I love I love all this new um, wave of sports in in the Olympic Games, and they are they are much modern than we are. Um, if you can see in Tokyo two thousand on the on the street skateboarding final. Jager Iron, who took the second place after the Japanese, just right before the last trick, when everything was like, okay, everything comes up to this trick. Everybody was watching at him. And the guy took out the phone from the pocket. And he chose his favorite music, put it again on the pocket, and he did the trick. It was the first time ever someone won a, a, um a Olympic medal with with the cellular, the the phone on the pocket, and and that to me it's it's amazing. You know, they're they're bringing new stuff to the Olympic movement. I love it. Yeah, it's incredible, and I I love I love uh, not only the the freedom of expression that comes from sports that are uh, we say alternative uh, when when you're looking at it from the classic lens of uh, the Olympic platform, but I also love the fact that there's influence of one sport to another. Like when we first started talking today, you, you said that breakdancing was something that inspired you to get into gymnastics. And then what we've seen in gymnastics is that gymnastics has continued to uh, influence breakdancing and breakdancing has has come back and influenced gymnastics. I mean, you talked about Alexei Nemov, which uh, actually when you were talking about him, I was like, you know Alexei Nemov. I, I, I love Alexei Nemov. You know, I, I used to have pictures of him on my... On my uh, uh, in my books and and stuff because I I was so into um, these athletes, but I, to to see Alexei Nemov do a windmill, for example, or um, one of the Han brothers do um, uh, an air flare in the Olympics, I thought that was just incredible. And uh, also, the something you brought up that I think is very important is that you never know what you're going to get when you're working with the elements. And I mean, the waves could be bigger or smaller. You don't know what that's going to be like. Sometimes you're you're not doing a set routine. Um, and just thinking back at the gymnastics days, I remember going to competition uh, competitions, and then all of a sudden the the equipment being a different brand and it feeling different and being hard to adapt to, or the chalk was different and it would feel different on your hands. So it took a second to adapt just to the chalk. Those little micro adaptations can throw you off. Um, I just am so impressed that there are athletes like the action sports athletes that are able to adapt to these. Yeah. Uh, big changes. Um, so I, I agree with that. And now that you've been working with action sports athletes and, uh, been in, uh, artistic swimming for a while, what is it that is, uh, becoming clear for you that you want to continue to provide as value through your applied gymnastics approach? Well, the fact that that gives me feedback that I like to do 
I like to pursue this this path, even if it's new and and strange to me, and it's not it's not the easiest. It will be much easier for me to just go to a club and do my levels and do gymnastics that I, I know I know how to do it. Is that I found I was last month I was at Woodward trying a trick with a skater, and I was there and and I love it. I was I was not. Um, worry about driving four hours that day. I was actually, I was excited because it was new and I still liking new stuff. To me, new means life, you know, uh, it gives me passion, something new. It, it's always bring me joy. And the sounds of a skate park are new to me. The, the wheels, the, the thing, the people, they, they play loud music and it's punk music. And to me, it's like, wow, this is all new. And they're in the Olympic Games. They're not playing games. They're doing, they're training hard, you know? Or or the fact that the this, um, when I, I practice with, with a break dancer I'm working with, I I go very happy because she's, She's happy and 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 embracing everything I said, but I'm all also learning a lot, and and it's new to me how you have to change your technique to perform in the concrete. Don't forget they are performing in the concrete; they they are super tough. And yeah, I think this component it it's awesome, and not to mention surf. The surfing I love because the surfing is in in the ocean, so I, I could be there in the beach for hours um, without no one, without a surfer. Not so. Can you imagine working and and helping someone to do to do stuff? Yeah, I feel very excited, exciting, everything new, and to me it's harder to find new stuff in gymnastics. It's harder. Because I know I, I've been many years. Maybe if I I will go now, everyone will be new. But the last time I I was there ten years ago, I knew all the coaches, I knew all the judges, and it was like, wow, this is more of the same. But we're getting older. This is the only thing we're doing here. That's so right. you know, <laughs> so to me, it's it's uh, re very refreshness to have new new setups, new sports, and and new challenges. Mm -hmm, for sure. And this is maybe a hard question to answer, but if you had to wrap up your philosophy of physical education and coaching and helping athletes become better, what does that philosophy say? Well, this philosophy uh, says that um, I, I can say, like, you can do it. Um I mean, for me, a coach is someone that tells you that you can do it. It's not someone that, that is telling you how to do it or saying like in the old days, our coaches were just like like people looking at us and taking out the mistakes. Like you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. I had a, a Russian coach who was that way and I I, I told, told him one day like, can you tell me something I do right, please? And she told me, no, no, if I don't say nothing, this is right. I mean, I don't like this. Um, for me, a coach is someone that helps you do stuff you think you cannot do and gives you tricks, gives you tools, and gives you um, support. I mean, for me, there's nothing bigger than than 
seeing someone or I had experienced it myself doing a new movement or a new trick that you've been struggling for months and then all of a sudden you have it and then you you learn it and then you can do it forever. I remember I couldn't sleep those days. I was just closing the eyes and, and remembering the sensation because I was so, so hyped of doing this new thing or doing, I don't know, uh, let's say one surfer doing their first barrel. I mean, and I have an interesting story about this you can do it philosophy where I saw from outside the picture of those two coaches and was uh, a friend of mine, Luis Moya, a little was a little kid and he was he was working on the parallel bars dismount. You first work on the foam pit and then you go to the to the mat, to the competition mat, which is much harder. And in this particular movement, if you go for it and you commit, it's not very very difficult or hard, but if you bail at some moment, you you are gonna crash and you you can get really hurt. So it's just commitment. It's not a very difficult technique movement. It's just going for it. So the kid was scared and he was uh, there at the chalk ball where you try to put your mind and 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 encourage yourself. And he was crying, and his coach was kind of pushing him like, oh, you've been working on this for two months. Now is the day you, you told me you're going to do it today. And now you're not doing it. You always say this and then you don't do it. He was kind of pressuring him. Like you are, you're not brave enough. You're a little kid. You're crying like a baby, blah, blah, blah. He was one side. And then I saw this Belarusian coach who was not the coach of this gymnast passing close to him and then whispering something in the ear of Luis. And all of a sudden, Luis stopped crying, went to the parallel bars, and he did the dismount. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what happened here? So I went to Luis and I asked him, what, what did Left told you? I mean, the other coach was shouting at you half an hour, you were there freezing on, on the chalk ball, and now this old man just whispered to you something on your ear, and you did it. What did he tell you? And you know what what was? He told me, he told me, you can do it. Luis, you can do it. Wow. That's it. As simple as that. And I was like, wow, that's what you have to do on, on. You just have to support. You just have to tell the gymnast that you can do it and give him the tools to do it. That's amazing. Yeah, that was beautiful. And and I took it as my as my thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Victor, there's there's a, a lot more we can unpack, but I feel like we're going to have to do another one in the future. Is is there anything you'd like for uh me or the listeners uh to to know about you and and where you're going in the future? Uh or any words of wisdom that uh you could use as some departing words? I will recommend all the coaches to, to don't forget that we are supporters and that we are not competing anymore, that we have to step on the second line and that the stars are the athletes as a first point. And second, for the athletes or for anyone pursuing a, a goal in this life, um, I said that on the Spanish edition, but I wanna, I'm going to say it again because I think it's important that you have to 
be able to visualize what you want. You have to be able to picture yourself where you want to be, that, that things don't happen just by chance, that if you, if you throw an arrow, it won't, it won't go to the, to the target if you don't aim, you know, well, it can happen once, but it won't happen three times. So you need to, to be able to visualize yourself, throwing the arrow, going on the target and hitting it. And then when you can visualize yourself, then you got to throw the arrow. So it is important that you first, you take your time on visualizing yourself doing or being what you want to, what you, you want to become. Yeah. Somebody has uh, put it better than, than I can, uh, see your future, be your future. Yeah. <laughs> That's simple. And, and yeah, I will, I will always, um, and put this on on bold letters, and I I I keep reminding myself this because I'm I'm pursuing something, and sometimes it's like what I'm what I'm doing. Sometimes I think I'm doing a lot of things. Sometimes I think I'm not doing nothing, and it's like hey, hey this is life is like a life is like a little joke, you know. We we're gonna be here like hundred years if we're lucky, and we're gonna die. This like that put us on on the same place of an ant or 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 any plant you know if you be watch the whole universe we this is like a little role game so nothing is so important and it's it's nice to pursue something that is meaning to you and you have to aim for it and try it and if you fail aim for another thing and try it again nothing happened victor cano Thank you so much for being here and uh congrats you did your your second podcast and first podcast in English. Amazing. Uh, He's my first ever. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for making this happen. I hope everybody listening uh, got as much as I did out of this conversation. And uh, I will leave all of uh, Victor's links in the show notes so people can follow. And uh, you should be looking out for everything that is coming on Victor's side because um, I've had the privilege of uh, looking and getting a peek behind the scenes. And it's uh, it's beautiful to see what you're creating. And I can't wait to see how it continues to evolve. So, Victor, thank you very much. I appreciate you and uh, much love. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for, for thinking of me of this um, amazing project you're doing with your, post, your podcast. I love them all. I appreciate it. Thank this you. This is the Freestyle Way.